The RTE Running Podcast with Brian O'Connell. Hello and welcome to The Running Podcast with me, Brian O'Connell. Hope you're all well. Uh, I've had a day or two of sickness this week and it's meant no running since Sunday. It's funny because I'd got to the point where I've had six or seven weeks of really good mileage and it's almost like your body is telling you to stop. So I haven't been able to run now for two days because I've had a bit of a fever. And it's interesting, isn't it, how your body actually knows that you need to stop before you even do. So there you go. No running for the last two days. Of course, I'm panicked sending the running group um, messages saying, you know, two or three days is fine, isn't it? (laughs) I've got about five and a half weeks to go to this marathon Rotterdam. Back maybe Wednesday or Thursday this week. I have two very interesting guests for you this week. Um, First up, we have Irene Clark who uh, is going to talk about running and the menopause. Really interesting conversation um, about midlife running, essentially, and about how she coaches um, women and men to manage their running programs and their aims and ambitions in terms of running as they enter uh, midlife. And then we have an old friend of mine, Shane Hegarty. He was previously a journalist with the Irish Times. He's a very well-known children's book author now. And he calls himself a mid-pack runner. I asked him to talk about his favourite running books. So there's quite a lot of literature out there in this genre. He's picked out three or four of the books that have really resonated with him down through the years. So that's there the two guests this week. I'm not going to talk a whole lot as I battle this dreaded man flu. So let's get straight into it. So first up, as I said, is Irene Clark. She has a background in sports science. She's a sports educator. And... Irene began by telling me how she came around to the idea of midlife coaching. The RTE Running Podcast. My club is West Waterford Athletic Club. And back as far as 2016, somebody, the famous somebody that we all have in the club, decided wouldn't it be great crack now if we could get 100 people to run the Dublin Marathon as part of the 1916-2016 commemorations. So we actually ended up with 166, um, which is the biggest club team ever to have entered and probably a a number that that we'll have for time to come. So as part of that, another somebody had to train um, a lot of the people and put the coaching together. And that was me. And whilst I was doing that and while people were going through their marathon training, I discovered that the men were fine. They were, you know, responding to training well. Younger women, fine. But those in that midlife, kind of mid-40s onward, were struggling. There was lots of injury. There was lots of issues around training. And they just went wouldn't respond in the same way. So I went down um, a rabbit hole of menopause education, trying to find out, you know, how do we do this? in terms of hormonal health, in terms of exercise, nutrition and recovery, because it all kind of fits in there. Mm-hmm. Um, from that, I developed a pilot program, which we ran in conjunction with Athletics Ireland, who, to be fair, were the first um, NGB to take on 
menopause and recognize that, you know, 30% of participants are dropping out. If you go to a road race, you'll often see that there's plenty of people in the senior 40, 45, but as you get older, sometimes just by turning up, you win a prize. Um, so the, the rates fall out. So we, a spin-off from doing a pilot program was we ended up developing a workshop for women on how they could train in midlife that is currently now being rolled out across the country, both within Athletics Ireland and within triathlon and within some of the sports partnerships. We know this week is Women in Sport Week, so it's it's quite a timely conversation to have. Will you tell me what are the physical and perhaps the emotional changes that occur with the menopause that impact on activity, sporting activity? Okay, there's lots of things going on here. So from a body composition perspective, you're dropping muscle. So you're losing muscle at a rate of 8% per decade from 40 to 65. After that, it drops to 15%, so a huge drop in muscle. We also can lose up to 20% of our bone density in those seven years around perimenopause. We're losing power, we're losing speed. And the really big one of all is how we train for aerobic fitness changes. So that's a real one. So there are all the issues um, in terms of our physical training. As far as symptoms go, there's loads that affect us as we run. Increased fatigue, no sleep, joint aches and pains. Um, we need increased recovery time as we're aging. We're more susceptible to injury. Potentially, if we have hot flushes, that can cause another problem. And then for a lot of women, they may have kind of low level anxiety, mood issues. So all of that feeds back into their running or lack thereof. I suppose if you're not overly conscious of the impact all of this will have on your running, you can very easily get disillusioned. 100%, yeah. So what we know is that up to about 30% of women will either drop out or completely reduce the time that they're exercising. And you don't see it so much at shorter races, around 5K, the participation rates are pretty much the same, men and women. But if you look at last year's Dublin Marathon, for example, if you take the age category from 45 upwards, 23% of the participants were women and 46% men. Um, and that is the same across all sports. So you design specific programs then to take account of of the menopause and to take account mm. of the impact it may have. Is is that what you do? So so what does that look like? Okay, so there's a few things that you need to take into consideration. The big big thing is that only about six percent of sports science research is carried out on women, and even less on menopausal women. So that is the research that we're working from. And the one that hits home and the penny drops for most women is around how you train. So let's say you're training for a marathon. So traditionally, you might follow a sort of 80-20 plan, whereby 80% of your running is easy and the 20% element would be harder in some shape or another. And you would get aerobically fit because the marathon is predominantly an aerobic event, about 99% of the energy you use is aerobic energy. So how you build aerobic energy is that 
you're trying to increase something called mitochondria. So this is an organelle in your muscle cell. It takes the energy from food and it converts it into energy, aerobic energy we can exercise with, mm -hmm. which works perfectly for men, for younger women. The big problem for women in this age category is that this entire process is driven by estrogen and we don't have estrogen. So whilst the way that we trained previously was perfect, we were responding to training. If we continue to train the same way, the opposite happens and we effectively drive ourselves into the ground. So we still, obviously, if you're going to run a marathon, you still need to be doing longer runs. But this focus on the just this building your aerobic capacity, you can't do it just by running anymore. So what we need to look at now is strength is a huge one, not just to feed into our running, but also feed into our muscles, feed into our bones. Um, how we would improve cardiac fitness would be around sprint interval training. So there would be that hard element of training for runners. You would be looking then at plyometrics as well. Um, so all of those things would be how a physical marathon training program would look. So you would still have your your longer run, but during the week, instead of doing, say, lots of easy running, your focus would be more predominantly on increasing power, increasing speed. Because something that lots of people forget is that you don't necessarily become a better runner just by running. There's lots of other things you can do. And most of us, us, but when we were younger, when we were running, we got away with it. You know, you might take a nod towards strength conditioning when you're a bit injured or you might place a little bit of focus on your nutrition. But now when, when our hormonal um, health changes, if we don't change how we train, it doesn't just affect our performance, but it also affects our future health. Um, so there's quite a lot going on there. That's so interesting. In terms of nutrition, then, Irene, are there supplements you can take? Are there particular foods you should focus on? I, obviously, hydration, I would imagine, is as important as it is for everybody else. Hydration is actually a really interesting one because of the hormonal changes women of this age, you can't recognize thirst in the same way. So you can end up dehydrated very quickly and unintentionally. And that does happen a lot. And the other thing that happens with hydration is that because a lot of women suffer from pelvic floor issues, they are reluctant to take on a lot of hydration because that's going to cause them a problem when they're out running. So Hydration, we know about a 2% drop in hydration will decrease performance by 6%. So that is, that's an issue. In terms of nutrition, um, we're looking at an increased protein intake because we can't utilize protein in the same way as we could before. So effectively, we need more protein. Carbohydrate is still our friend in terms of how that fuels, like carbohydrate is the fuel of choice um, for sport. There's no question about that. But we're thinking more protein in the recovery period as well as carbohydrate. What about clothing, Irene? Um, 
is that a factor what you wear it can be for some women um women who may perhaps experience a lot of hot flushes so you're looking at layers there um less is more in terms of pelvic floor um sometimes for women they might wear a specific type of a short that would support their bladder but other than that no there isn't no, there's no specific needs other than the sports bra obviously but all all women need a good sports bra and and we're not saying that post 45 50 that you can't continue to improve what you're saying is that you've got to be you've you've got to really think about the type of training you're doing yeah so it's a case of you can get back to where you were like what a lot of women experience is they're training away and they're gradually improving responding to training and all of a shot it's like they've fallen off the side of a cliff and what used to be their easy pace they're lucky if that's now their race pace but you can get back to that there's no question about that you can you just have to how you train has to change so you can still do your marathons your 5k your 10k whatever it is that you like but the way that you get there changes and how that changes is you're thinking more strength training, more plyometrics, more sprint intervals. And the one that nobody wants to hear is less of the endurance training because you can't improve your endurance because you don't have estrogen there. So you're just maintaining what you have. You can add a little bit to it, but it's no longer the, the number one factor in your training and then you're looking to support that with proper recovery recovery is a huge issue now it takes longer to recover as we age regardless male or female but for women it takes a little bit longer again when they don't have estrogen and what we tend to forget is that we get faster we get stronger and we get fitter in the recovery period it's not in the exercise period so there is an equation that's called stress plus rest equals growth so mm -hmm. stress is the exercise rest mm -hmm. is when you're recovering you're not doing anything and the growth is when you're adapting so when you're getting um, a fit becoming a fitter athlete yeah, because I had chatted to Katrina McKiernan a few weeks back and she was saying, as you get into your 40s, five days a week is plenty. Take those two rest days. Yeah. And it's something I've been trying to adapt myself. Yeah. And there is another thing to consider in terms of recovery. So when you are obviously exercise is a stress on your body. It's meant to be a stress on your body. But we tend to only consider the exercise stress when we're looking at recovery. The other thing you have to think about is all of the other stresses in your life. So if your job is really stressful, if you have jet lag, if you've issues with your kids, if you just have whatever you want to label as stress, all your body knows is you have to recover from this. So it's not compartmentalizing your exercise it's just saying stress i have to recover if you don't recover that's when you stop responding to the stimulus of training what might be of interest in terms of recovery is that instead of in a normal training program you're looking at 
generally a build of three to four weeks and then a step back week. As you age, you're looking at a build of two weeks and then a step back week. So you're not just factoring in recovery in your week, you're factoring it in to a three week block of training. See, I'd be panicked then that I wouldn't I wouldn't be getting the miles up. But it's not miles that's going to make you a better athlete when you're at this age. So the trick that we do there is if you were training for a marathon or any race and your training was 16 weeks, we would extend that out to 20 weeks so that you had still got it in, but it's over a longer period of time. So that is also helping with injury because if you think back to what we were saying earlier about being more prone to injury, if you're spreading the load of your training over 20 weeks, not 16, your chance of injury is less. Or the other thing you could consider is instead of the traditional seven day block of training, lots of women do this, is you would do a long run maybe every eight, nine or 10 days. So you're spreading it out that way. So there's lots of little tricks like that that we can incorporate. Those stats, so 23% of participants were female at the Dublin Marathon and 46% mm-hmm. of men, I think you said? Yeah, yeah. And if you look, um, like we compared three races that are quite big in numbers. One was the Rohini 5. So over kind of 5K, 5 mile, the numbers are pretty similar. Another race we looked at was our own club race, which is the John Tracy 10 mile race. And you can see the numbers starting to widen. So instead of maybe one or two percent difference, you're looking at four, five, eight percent. And that just goes the whole way up um, the longer the race. And it's the same if you were to look in triathlon and look at the numbers who did Ironman in Cork, you could literally count the women on one hand. There were so few. I think within our group, this is never, I don't. I, I mean, certainly amongst the men, we've never really talked about it. I thought about the fact that we're maybe moving into our mid-40s and how long more can we keep improving our times? But I've never thought of the male-female factor and I've never thought of the menopause factor. Well, we didn't know about it. This is the problem. This is only in the last few years that all of this is coming through and all the research, well, even though it's limited. So it's only now that people are beginning to realize why they felt so awful and why running was such a struggle. Um, But yeah, there's information coming through, but it's slow. And I guess it needs to feed into coaches as well, because the coaches are setting the plans. And if they don't understand um, the physiology and the issues that are going on. So there's loads of stuff coming up this week that Sport Ireland are doing. Um, Some of the sports partnerships are doing things. There's lots of clubs doing things. And lots of workshops as well. So so it's worth checking one of those out. Thanks so yeah. much, Irene. What about yourself? Where are you at with your running? Well, I still run, but I do lots of strength training now. <laughs> and and are, you worry, are you bothered about times anymore? No, I'm not really. I spend so much of my time coaching that I tend, I actually tend to be working at weekends a lot of the time when races are on. So, yeah, I, I'm not aiming for anything in particular right now just to just to run enjoy it and to get a little bit stronger as well the other thing is is what we do now is going to determine what we can do when we're 70 and beyond and that is a big issue for all of us but particularly for women because 
because we lose so much bone density, 50% of women over the age of 50 will have a fracture and only 25% of men. So it is another very good reason to start doing strength work. And that was Irene Clark. You can find her on Instagram and on Twitter. And she gave a really interesting workshop to our club, Toker AC, about a year or two ago. So really worth checking out if you're part of a club. Next up, we have Shane Hegarty. He was a journalist in the past. He's a children's book author now, very well-known children's book author. And he describes himself, as I said, as a mid-pack runner. I began by asking him, when did he start running? I started running, I was at the New York Marathon a good few years ago now, I'm going to say maybe about 15 years ago, my wife was doing it and we went over with a group and Eamon Coughlin was part of that sort kind of organisation. And I hadn't done any running in a long time. And I used to run as a kid. I was a sprinter as a kid and I was a hurdler and I was uh, at a decent level as a, as a up until about sort of 17, 18. And then like lots of people, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'll step away from that and I'll do it again at some stage. And then I was at the New York Marathon watching all these other people running and I hadn't run in years and years and I'd had back trouble and had lots of issues. And I just had that moment where I remember thinking I need to do something here. Everybody else is fit and I'm yeah. not. And in my in my kind of early to mid 30s, and I started doing triathlons and and gradually and running was the toughest part of it for me. But over the years, then I found it's the one thing I've kind of stuck with um, because I used to I used to work in Dublin, I used to work for the Irish Times and I would cycle into Dublin and I would swim in the swimming pool beside the uh, the Irish Times. And then I stopped working in the office. And the one thing I could keep doing was running. But the one thing that I didn't need anything for other than the pair of shoes and the motivation was to run. And, and that gradually took over. And I've never really been, a, I've never been a good, you know, kind of habitual runner in the sense of somebody who was smart with their training. Really over the last year or so, I sort of realized that what I should have learned a lot time, long time ago, especially from hitting the wall in three marathons, was part of the enjoyment of it is is the the training and the putting the work in and enjoying your training and enjoying the running that goes with it. So I found myself becoming more disciplined. And one of the things that I do much more than I ever did before was I kind of put a diary. I, I have a diary of my running now. And so I've and I found that in some ways writing things down which is part of my that is the thing I've always had to do as a job and I've always wanted to do and I have kind of, kind of the one thing I've always needed to do is write I brought that into my running so what do you write down you write down how you felt about the run you write down how long you ran I do both so like I mean like everybody I or a lot of people I have it on the watch so I can just pick up my phone and look at my my Garmin times but I actually actively write down what I did usually how I felt um, I'll break it down in terms of, you know, the kind of training I've done. I write down what shoe I'm, I've used. So I try and kind of, there's a certain motivation to filling that page almost every day. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also that sense of your life in running begins to build up over the course of three or four diaries, which I've been doing over the, maybe really over the properly over the last three or four years. And I, and 
we all have these parts of our life and, and oddly enough since i started doing it for running i've started doing it for other parts of my life so i have a i have a life diary now i have a work diary i don't mean in the sense of i have the work diary of what i have to do during the week by writing down how i'm how i feel when i'm running and and how it's going and being able to look back and get a sense of progress and accomplishment an understanding of where you've been and where you're going i've done that in my work in terms of the writing that I'm doing, how many words I've written in a day, what I was doing, what I'm reading. And, and oddly enough, I find that it's so, you know, that it's brought that it, it, there's a motivation that you can get and there's lessons you can get from running that I brought into my kind of creative life as well. That's so interesting. I know we'll talk about some running books um, in a couple of minutes, but in terms of running and the creative process, mm. do you find your writing in your head while you're running yeah, it's funny. It's, there's a real I did a thing for the International Literature Festival Dublin last year about uh, writing and running. And we did a run through Dublin and we stopped every so often and I would um, use a passage from a book or a poem or something that related to running. But um, but it wasn't just about that. It was about um, sort of realizing that a huge amount of. I think when you're running, it's very like writing in a lot of ways. There's a certain there's an endurance element. Mm -hmm. There's um, there's a, a sometimes a kind of a breaking through certain barrier element that you get in writing, especially if you're writing long books, which which, you know, if you're writing, as I've done sort of 60, 70,000 words, there's a focus element. There's all of that. And for me, there's a mix of things that happens when I'm running. Sometimes I think of nothing. And that's the escape from the. And I think a lot of people and, and in, I think on your podcast, you've you've had a lot of discussions. What's really interesting is the amount of people who you've had you've had on who've said I um, talked about that almost kind of philosophical aspect and the, and the self-care aspect and the mental health aspect. And I think like a lot of people, there is a certain element of when you're certainly when you're living in your head all day in a creative, you know, if you're creative uh, in a creative industry or you're writing or your whatever else it might be, there's an escape from it. And then there's other times when I find that there's a flow in running that really matches the flow in writing. And sometimes when I'm out there running, something feels clearer. The world seems clearer. The The work seems clearer and the ideas can seem clearer. So it's, it's a strange not, thing. Yeah, and you're not distracted. I mean, there are very few times now during the day where we're not distracted digitally. And I think running, okay, you might have a, a watch and you might be checking the watch every now and again, but it's one of those times where you just take time out, isn't it? You detail. It is absolutely. It's it's you're right. It is. It's it's one of those because uh, even if you go to the gym and I try and go to the gym more, I should be going more than I am. The amount of times you see people in the gym and they're spending half their time just sitting down looking at their phone. And it is it's one of those things And look, swimming is like that and cycling is is like that. But where you have one activity and one thing, which is to put one foot in front of the next and the next and the next. And whether you're doing it over 5K distance, an 8K distance, um, whether you're training for a marathon uh, or beyond, as people are, you know, in in, in ultra uh, running, it's that is that's your job right there and you might and people listen to podcasts or they listen to music and whatever but it is a it is something where you're yeah you're right you're not just you're not distracted by something you're not it's generally and there's a connection it's just it, it, sometimes you can when we're sitting down working you're you're in your head but and your body is 
sort of almost redundant. Maybe your fingers are typing away and that's almost it. But when you're yeah. running, everything is involved. And in some ways, I think that frees up the brain and it frees up the mind in its own way. You know, you're kind of letting all the letting your body do the work. I think Mary Jennings might say this. You put, put you know, put the gear on in the morning. So when you're sitting down to work, you're in your running gear. Yeah. And you're ready to you're ready to go if you want to go at lunchtime. Or I have a couple of friends and we're all generally working at home as people are now or we're working uh, on our own. And we will do the anybody around and we'll sort of set a time for lunchtime run. Yeah. And I think it is it's and that's a great thing about running. It just gets you. It's so easy. Yeah. It is so it is the most democratic yeah. sport imaginable. You can um, you go out and you can do it at any at any time. And um I definitely learned in, in in over the last few years that I do it as much for my head as as I do for my body. Let's have a chat about some running books. Um, there are a couple of staples, like aren't aren't there of the genre? Um, go on. What's what's the top two or three that that you've picked out? Well, look, I mean, there's a book called that as so many people have probably read by now called Born to Run, which is by uh, Christopher McDougall, and it's one of those books. It's um, it's over just over ten years old now. And it has one of those really long titles that gives you pretty much everything you need to know about it, which is a hidden tribe, super athletes and the greatest race the world has ever seen. Catchy. Yeah, but it definitely. I'm trying not to. And I know there's been different waves of popularity in terms of running. Um, and uh, But it definitely uh, Christopher McDougall kind of caught a wave in terms of people's, I think, the kind of real surge again in marathon and distance running um, and the popularity in that. And it's it's. It's a book that is, I suppose, that mix of the the scientific. So it's very much an exploration of why we run as human beings, which is a really interesting part of it for me. It's got that mystical aspect to it. So he's sort of it's it's all about this tribe uh, that he goes to find who um, Mexican tribe that are brilliant ultra runners and and they sort of uh, they beat the great ultra runners. Um, you know, almost at kind of a drop of a hat. And then it's about that personal quest and that personal. So he's, you know, about this race, this great race and these kind of great ultra runners coming together. And it definitely it's a book that's still really worth reading because it still captures something about why we run as human beings. It, it, but it's also one of those that I think it came along at a time when maybe people were looking at that. You remember that whole sort of Vibram? Is it Vibram where the shoes, the the minimalist running that oh, sense yeah. of that we were yeah. sort of uh the, the, the shoes were doing too much of the work yeah we've gone the other way now and i mean yeah. I'm, you know i'm sure you're the same as me i know you've talked about the shoes uh, you know i have three or four different pair of shoes and each one seems to be more like high heels than the next but <laughs> um but it's still a really good it's just one of those books that if you're especially it captures that urge yeah to run and that that sense of why is it as human beings that we feel this need to actually go out and run and a lot of it is about that 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 just that it's an innate part of what we do it's 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 how we caught our food it's how we um it's how we survived for so long and um so it's still it's a it's still a very good book at having put all of that together in one go okay that's born to run that's it's actually on my locker it's under bono and just above bruce springsteen i think so it's between the two of those so i gotta get to it i've read about half it i think the next one so give us another one yeah so the, the other one there's another kind of genre of books running books that are in that philosophical mode and running obviously lends itself to that um as we've already sort of established by talking about it that sort of you know search for your yourself and and um 
Haruki uh, Murakami. Yeah. What I talk about when I talk about running. Great book. Is a, yeah, and it's so he's a novelist, um, but a, but a, also a marathon runner, um, who took it up quite late, and it's and it, and so this isn't a book if you're looking for that scientific aspect. It's more that sort of philosophical aspect of why he runs rather than why we run, um, why he runs and what what it is. And in his case, he says he doesn't think about very much when he's when he's running, but it's one of those. He's competitive with himself too, isn't he? He's very competitive and yeah. he's a decent runner, but it's also, yeah. it's also, there's an element of aging and that sense of, you, you know, trying to kind of fight the aging of the body. There's that sense of community that comes from running. He talks about that a lot, but there is that it's a book that celebrates the freedom of, of running and what it means to get out and do it. You know, these are, when I talk about the sort of books that have that philosophical element, it's not necessarily that they're, there's, a purity to it like he listens to music while he runs um he's not a he's not a, a an elite runner he's just somebody who's who discovered the value of it to him and writes about it in a really oddly enough for you know a very accessible way so it's 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 not a big book it's not a tome by any means and it's quite plain in a lot of its language it's such an interesting book because he, he he's very likable for a start yeah his voice is very likable but it's so accessible doesn't he? He, run... said, he by the way, I think I'm right in saying in the book he says he's not particularly likable, oh, <laughs> and that part of it for him is like that he understands that as a novelist he's one of these people who's quite wrapped up in himself. But uh, and he, he runs so, every day, pretty much. He runs, yeah. Day. I think his his kind of rule is that he doesn't go two days without a run, which I think is a really is a good metric I found as well for you know that you find a reason to get out. You always find a reason to get out. Um, but uh, so it is. It's. And again, he talks, if you have any interest in the creative process or writing, he talks very much about wh where the two things link up so much. And he quite he writes quite directly about that, that writing a novel is very similar to to running a marathon in lots of different ways. Um, so if you've an interest in that creative process, which a lot of people do and why pe and, and the writing process, that's in there as well. Give us and, the and third would, book. So you've well, I was, I, I was going to say that actually in the vein of Murakami and mentioned a bit by um, by him as John Connell. So if you're looking for an Irish book, John Connell's The Running Book, which takes he kind of runs a marathon on his own through Longford. And it's again, it's this mixture of the sort of philosophical aspect of running, but also the mental, the importance for mental health and physical health um, and also a history and memoir all wrapped into one. So. There's a, it's part of that. It sort of fits a little bit in the Murakami and he says he'd like to run with Murakami at some stage. But it's really interesting because, again, it's what I think I really like about John Connell's book is it reflects how when you're running and especially if you go on those long runs and sometimes you take those detours and you just find yourself out in your own somewhere looking at a ruin or looking at a field or looking at a long road down the stretch and it's you and it's the history and the landscape and all around. And so he, he kind of explores all of those parts of that kind of that marathon that he runs in his yeah. own. And it all, also includes what it's like to hit the wall, which is something that, you know, I think is is talked about, but the experience is a whole other thing, as I can attest to. And I think if you're looking for an Irish book that that is, I suppose, the Irish version of the kind of Murakami book, it's definitely, definitely one to uh, to read. There was one other one you were going to mention. We've had three male writers, so I'm hoping you have a female writer. I do. And look, that's the thing. And the other thing I've realized is they are all like distance running, isn't it? It's interesting. Yeah. You don't get too many books about what it's like to sprint for 
10, 11, 12 seconds. They all tend to be uh, distance running. And, and I think maybe that there's a there's again, it gives you that sort of time to learn a lot about yourself while you're doing it. But I have to say a really superb book, which I've only just picked up. It's it's only published in the last couple of months called Good for a Girl by Lauren Fleshman. Uh, My Life Running in a Man's World. She was an elite athlete, juvenile athlete who went into the collegiate system and then the pro system. And it is this mix of of memoir experience. And as it says, a kind of a manifesto for how running and, and coaching and our understanding of the sport has to change when we when we're looking at women running and looking at girls running as opposed to how it is for boys and men. This is very much about the impact of puberty. And the impact of becoming, as, as she literally says at one stage, your body is trying to prepare you to become a mother. Um, and it is adding these elements onto your body that are useless for running. And she talks about the um, performance wave for female athletes. Why is it that many of them hit a plateau at, at, at about 18, 19? Um, how they can come through that or how they come through that. But it's so it's a really I have to say it is a superb book because it gives you an insight both into her as a runner. It gives you an insight into the the, the sort of relentless cruelty sometimes of the of the collegiate system in the states it is a book which i think anybody who's an interest in sport would benefit from reading as somebody who's a father of 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 girls who run i found i found it really really fascinating because it's not a level playing field um and the system certainly that she writes about isn't set up in the way that it should be i think if you're coaching if you're a parent it uh, or if you're just somebody who loves sport it's one of those books that i can't uh, recommend highly enough what's the name again sorry good for a girl by lauren fleshman excellent great stuff listen thanks so much shane that's super what about uh you having a go at a running book uh i don't know i'd want to have to say something new i don't think people are that interested in in, in me and my attack on the park run uh, <laughs> every every saturday i found i've really i really enjoy 5k's at the moment and yeah. i'm finding that it's just easier on my body and on my lifestyle yeah. and, and i enjoy the training and um there's some value in just enjoying it that's the thing i'm learning i'm 48 now i'm not going to win yeah. anything listen thanks to mel shane really appreciate it RTE Running Podcast. So that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you all for listening. Mind yourself if you're going out on the roads running. And I'll talk to you next week. The RTE Running Podcast with Brian O'Connell.